in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 63 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. This is the Gene Machi episode of Bags and Brisby. Uh, it should be a gas, wouldn't you say? Oh, wow. I know what you did there. I see exactly what you did there. I don't need to be... Jose Mijares to catch the whiff of the direction you're going. <laughs> you know, I, I wonder just how online you need to be in order to get that. I, I would guess that maybe 80% of the people listening right now have no idea what we're talking about. Wow, I don't know. In the Venn diagram of our podcast readership and people who, who know of Carmen Q's very best uh, GIF work on the internet, I feel like there's a big, big central uh, uh, meetup there. But uh, But maybe we should explain it. Or maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, maybe we shouldn't, but just real quick, it was uh, uh, the Giants telecast caught uh, what was very clearly uh, <laughs> Jose Mijares reacting to a, a Gene Machi fart, uh, and it, it was unambiguous. It's not like, a, oh, it kind of looks like that. It was, <laughs> it's worth looking up. They're in Milwaukee, they're in the, uh, they're in the bullpen, and it's Gene Machi, Jose Mijares, and I believe it was Tyra Uematsu. And you can see Machi is just sort of looking off, you know, like a nonchalant, not drawing attention to himself. But there is a clear shifting of weight in his seat. So there was a butt cheek raised, I believe. And uh, and then you see Mihara's and his nostrils just flare. Like he's just making sure that he's getting the full sense of what he's experiencing. And yes, yes, that is toxic butt gas. And now I'm making a huge reaction and leaning totally in the other direction. And Tyra is laughing his, his butt off. And and then, and then and Machi is just laughing. It was, it was the perfect time to happen to show those guys just watching the ball game. And it's hilarious. This has lived in my head for so long, I just realized I've never talked about it with anyone else. It's been completely between me and my computer. And so just hearing you describe it and trying to say the words myself, oh, it's ridiculous. It's very... <laughs> I can describe it very well because I've probably watched it 8,000 times. Right. Uh, and, and different parts have, have become my favorite. Oh, no, the, the next part is my favorite part where Miharas uh, waves a hand in front of his nose and goes, woo! <laughs> doesn't he, like, slide away like he, he gets some distance? <laughs> yes. But <sighs> what I love most is that his nostrils, like, get really wide and flared like, oh, no, I'm going to make sure I breathe this in more deeply before I react to it. <laughs> oh man i didn't think that this would be the topic of the podcast i was just going off his uniform number but you know i guess we have a half an hour to to talk about no 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 we actually have another another surprising topic another topic that might make you recoil and this is (laughs) (laughs) woo. this might be the the gene my chief art of rumors it depending on on you know your uh, tolerance just how sort of invested you are in all this stuff and how much 
I don't know. This is fascinating. Okay, so we've got Francis Romero, and he is a, a BBWAA member. He's not someone who has 6,000 followers, and, uh, you know... Uh, He's following seven thousand people. You know what I mean? Like he, he seems he seems legit. I don't know him. I haven't followed him before this, but he is putting his name on the line, and I, he says that Yasiel Puig is very close to signing with the San Francisco Giants. That's Yasiel Puig. I didn't you, you did not mishear me. Uh, the contract amount is unknown, but would have a one year option. Uh, both sides, Puig and Giants, are waiting for Major League Baseball to clarify the return date of baseball to make the official agreement. So that is an unambiguous rumor. That's not like he's saying uh, they're close, they're talking, whatever. He's saying it's pretty much done, and they're just waiting for the return of baseball. Now, Andy, you did some reporting. Yeah, I uh, I texted Farhan Zaidi, and I said, so what can you tell me about this? And... Uh, <laughs> And he responded that we're not having any conversations internal or external about player transactions at this point, which, as we also know, there is a moratorium on player transactions. I mean, they can't release anybody right now. They can't take someone off the 40-man roster if it's full to sign someone. They can't sign someone. But this doesn't sort of preclude the possibility that the Giants and Puig may have been close to some sort of agreement on, say, March 9th, 10th, 11th, you know, whatever, before, you know, spring training just sort of got disintegrated and everyone... uh, went and sheltered in place. So Puig is in Southern California right now. He's still a free agent. I think it would be very, very hard to come to terms with him on a contract if there isn't somewhat recent talks, because as we know how much of the season they're going to play, is still up in the air. I don't think there's any way that they could cross any T's or dot any I's or dot any J's or whatever you want to say, because we don't know. We don't know what the season's going to look like. So the fact that they're not talking, they're not having any conversations, it means that there can't be anything done or close to done because there'd be too many details to figure out. But, sure, you know, if I don't doubt that on some level there have been some discussions about Puig, and I don't doubt that there is probably mutual interest. Um, but, you know, we're a long way from seeing Yasiel Puig in, in a Giants uniform. All right. So on, let's see, when was this? January 27th, which, let's see, that was six, seven years ago. Um, yeah. On January 27th, 2020, I wrote an article titled, The Giants Should Sign Yasiel Puig, and I'm not reading a single comment after publishing this. <laughs> and there are, to this date, 248 comments that I am absolutely not reading. I think one of them was mine at the very beginning. I said, you caught me, I'm reading. But I really, after that, poof, I was gone because I'm not reading that. But people have uh, strong opinions about Yasiel Puig in a Giants uniform. There's some people who are saying, yeah, you know what, load them up. Who cares? It's funny. Uh, And then there's some people who are aghast, just absolutely just sick to their stomach that anyone would even consider that. Uh... I don't know. Do you think that that would be the majority of people? I think if Requiem for a Dream could be a comment section, it would be a com- <laughs> it would be a comment section under that article, or potentially the article that uh, Andy McCulloch uh, wrote with Rustin Dodd, where they listed the greatest baseball songs of all time and omitted center field. Uh, that that was actually a quite entertaining comment section to read. I love that. Um, but yeah, sometimes you just know it's like, oh, people are going to react to this and maybe not in ways that I want to read about. Um, <laughs> honestly, I think it's kind of fascinating because, you know, we're putting out a fan survey. Uh, we did one with the Sharks that that was really interesting and we're doing one with the Giants now and that's going to be up very soon. And we hope uh, everyone who's listening will, will log on the site and participate in that. 
Um, and one of the things I wrote in my sort of intro to it is, you know, it's we're dealing with the Giants fandom that's different than it was 10 years ago. There's a lot of fans who, you know, joined the bandwagon. And, and when the, the Giants winning World Series every other year became sort of a civic engagement thing to do. And now a lot of those fans are, are being tested. Their resolve is being tested for the first time. And there's a lot of different opinions out there, a lot of um, sort of factions to the fan base. And, and and I would imagine if there are two things that everyone can agree on, it's one, we want baseball back as soon as it's safe and, and, and possible to play. And two, we hate the Dodgers and we want the Dodgers to lose. <laughs> and how much of, of Yasiel Puig is, is – uh, there's just too much Dodgery uh, sort of um, – uh, a stank on him, I guess you could say, uh, that, that you just couldn't put it out of your mind uh, to, to root for him. I have a feeling that if he energized the team and he played well and they won some games with him in the lineup, I think it would dissipate pretty fast, honestly. Sure. I, I really do think it would. But yeah, the outcry initially, I mean, if, if they weren't afraid to hire Gabe Kapler, knowing that that was going to be pretty deeply unpopular, I do not think that they would be reserved at all in, in signing Yasiel Puig. If they felt they could get a good deal on him and they thought it would be below market value, um, I, I don't think that they would really not do it because they know it would be unpopular with a lot of their fans, to put it that way. Yeah, and I'm looking through uh, you know Giants home run history and a name that's come up is Reggie Smith. Reggie Smith had a big home run in the 1982 season, and and Reggie Smith was a big-time Dodger. You thought about the Dodgers when you thought Reggie Smith, and it was, you know, and then you have Oral Hershiser, and and he comes to the 98 Giants, and that is, you know, an arch-nemesis type guy. I think Puig is a little different. I think Puig bothers Giants fans on a more personal level than even most Dodgers. I think there, there's like a, a tier. It's like you've got Clayton Kershaw, and he beats you, and you say, oh, well, that guy's a Hall of Famer, blah, I can't stand you, aha. Uh, but then you've got the, the real visceral dislike, and we're talking like Tommy Lasorda levels, uh, you know, Mike Marshall pointing at the Giants dugout. You've got these guys who just sort of cross a line or pick at a scab in a different way, and Puig is one of those guys but at the same time, I think you're right. He starts hitting, it gets forgotten real, real quickly. Yeah, the interesting thing about him is if you look at his career splits, I mean, for him to be a real Zaidi guy, he would have to, you know, have a, a nice platoon advantage and, and crush lefties, but he really doesn't. Uh, in fact, his slugging percentage is quite a bit higher against right-handed pitching. Um, but if you see him as someone who's an everyday guy and could be an everyday right fielder, um, you know, then maybe you don't worry about that so much. But the, I mean, the guy does hit homers. You can plug him into that lineup, and he's going to hit you probably twenty uh, to twenty-five home runs. And that's if you only give him about four hundred plate appearances. And I mean, the Giants just have not had players like that. Um, you know, they are going to have to replace a little of Kevin Pillar's power, which which they uh, which they lost. And, and we know that the outfield wasn't exactly looking so great in spring training. Um, so. I don't know. I mean, I, I think he fills a need and, and maybe he's a guy that they could uh, flip for someone else later on uh, if they could get him to a below market deal. But you know what? He'd be interesting and he'd be exciting, I think, to watch. And uh, there there wasn't a whole lot of that last season, if I can remember back that far. So, um, I, I mean, at first I sort of dismissed it as like, there, there's no way. Come on. I mean, like, like you were saying, this guy is just you know, people have made up their minds about him. But then again, the one guy who I would have the hardest time seeing 
as his teammate in the clubhouse, like fist bumping him as he's walking out for BP, is the one guy who kind of signed with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So, <laughs> right. Stephen Vogt, um, yes, of course. Yes, exactly, Stephen Vogt. He just <laughs> he just cannot tolerate Yasiel Puig. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at the, the point where, you know what, all bets are off. Who cares? Yeah, why not? It'd be interesting. It'd be fun. Uh, it, it would definitely make them a better team, I think. So um, I, I guess I, 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 why not is sort of my uh, baseline reaction at this point. And look, I wrote this article and I'm, I meant it. I wasn't just trolling it in late January when I said, yeah, sign him up. I think it, it would bring a, a flavor to the game. It would be exciting to watch uh, succeed or fail. You get to boo him if he fails. You get to cheer him if he succeeds. I think there's there's something to that. Uh, and I started it by, by saying, okay, well, the Braves just signed Marcelo Zuna. The Reds just signed Nicholas Castellanos. Uh, so the right-handed power was leaving. Puig is going to be the best option. But since that happened, we got Hunter Pence back. You know, the, the, and I, by we, I mean the giant. I'm not doing the we. I'm not saying. The I, royal I, we. I just screwed up, didn't I? I they're <laughs> going to take away my BBWAA card. Um, no, but I mean, the, the Giants got Hunter Pence back. And that is the right-handed power, I think. Because you're looking and you've got, okay, you've got your Stremski and you have Dickerson. You can't have them against, uh, you know, against against left-handed pitching or you don't want to have them against left-handed pitching all the time. So you're going to need that right-handed power. They got it with Pence. Is that enough? Would that preclude a Yasiel Puig signing? Or are you thinking, well, Pence is, you know, older and he's a little fragile. Dickerson's a little fragile. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to think, well... Maybe you do need one more guy. I mean, Austin Slater's listening right now going, no, 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 you don't, you don't, you don't. But I, maybe the Giants are thinking they do. I, I don't see a whole lot of outfield depth at the upper levels. And I think that you're talking about the brittleness of some of those guys. Um, you know, everyone's going to hope that Alex Dickerson can stay healthy. Everyone's going to hope that Hunter Pence is going to stay healthy. If you're doing this as an actuarial exercise, you realize that the odds are both of them are not going to stay healthy and maybe neither of them will. So... Um, yeah, I, I do think that they need to get another outfielder, uh, and they probably should have at some point in the offseason. They didn't see the matchup there that they wanted. So I, I fully thought that they were going to probably get another catcher and another outfielder uh, in sort of the second half of spring training. And then obviously um, the opportunity to add more players went away along with everything else. But um, So yeah, I, I, I still think it makes a lot of sense for them. I wouldn't be shocked if it happened at this point. Puig's worst season was in 2000 and I think, let's see, 16. And that is when he hit 263 with a 323 on base percentage and a 416 slugging percentage. That's a 740 OPS, which is a 98 OPS plus, which means he's about to 2% worse than the league average hitter. Um, and that sounds pretty darn good to me. That sounds like a cleanup hitter uh, when it when it comes to the Giants. I know those aren't numbers that you would have at Oracle Park, but his worst season is sort of like like on the upper end of what the Giants have gotten from a lot of their outfielders in the last three years, I think. Uh, you know, and then of course he's he's hit better than that. His career OPS plus is is one twenty two, career OPS eight twenty three, and Dodger Stadium's not exactly a great place to hit. So he's pretty darn good, you know, and he's going to be 29 this year, or no, he's already turned 29, so it's not like he's some old creaky player uh, where his durability is a concern. It's because he plays with bees in his pants, and the bees are bitey, angry bees, and he runs around and into walls <laughs> and stuff like that. So, you know, he's got that kind of uh, Kevin Pillar's sort of concern where he's just running into things. Uh, 
but I, he's still a pretty good player, I think. I, I think that's the, when you get down to it, he's pretty darn good still. So one thing about that 2016 season is the Dodgers sent him to the minor leagues that year. Yeah. Uh, and it was a big deal. And, and there was a whole lot that I think probably we only saw the tip of the iceberg come out. But there people were just, they'd had it with him. Uh, you know, he, he was just, uh, he was not following team rules. He was showing up late. He wasn't being a good teammate. I, I think that half of that clubhouse wanted him out. So they send him to Oklahoma City. And like the first thing he does is rent one of those giant like LED lit up party buses and take the whole team out on the town. And uh, and then he posts like Snapchat videos of himself in his underwear dancing in the dugout and stuff. And I mean, it's like it was almost like he was doubling down. Like, you know what? <laughs> you you want me to button myself down? I'm not going to do that, man. I'm going to be me. And and we know that he's had a couple of dust ups with uh, the police driving 110 miles an hour in Florida, which I, I actually think is the speed limit in Florida to in his defense. <laughs> but there was another reckless driving charge in Tennessee. I, I think this is just a guy that 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 lives life at super high volume and and at a dangerous volume, obviously, um, and sort of just hurdles himself headlong in, into life. Uh, I don't know him. I don't know him very well. I, I know that there are a lot of people who have very strong opinions about him. Uh, I've heard one one longtime reporter who I really respect said that he's the worst person he's ever covered, and I think wow, you know that that's got to carry some weight. That's a pretty big character observation. But then I've heard other people say that you know he just needs to be allowed to be himself and 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 just understand the ways that he can be himself within the parameters of what's expected of him professionally. And I do think he's gotten better at that every single year. Um, you know, he certainly really embraced going to Cincinnati last year and then ended the year with, uh, with the Indians. And I tell you what, just, just going over his, his Twitter, I mean, he is doing stuff, uh, posting videos to people in English and Spanish, telling them how they can be safe through COVID-19. Uh, he's doing Instagram lives with people, um, who are first responders. He's, uh, offloading, you know, uh, truckloads of bananas to people in, um, and another food uh, uh, things in, in Southern California. He did one in Florida too. Um, he's got a, a foundation, Wild Horse Foundation, that's doing a lot of food distribution. I mean, I don't know if this is eyewash or not. I don't know if this is PR or not. But I mean, he's doing a lot more than a lot of other players who we, we're not hearing anything from uh, right now. So you know, good for him. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, I get it. I'm not gonna make an apples to apples comparison here, uh, but I am just gonna bring up one sort of. If you were to be hopeful, if you were to be optimistic that eventually we're going to get a, a new Yasiel Puig, I think an, an arc that you can look toward uh, positively would be Pablo Sandoval. You know, when he left the Giants, he, there was a lot of uh, acrimony in not just between him and the fans, but it felt like in the clubhouse that uh, everyone was sort of like, you know, whew, you know, that's oh, not going to miss that guy. Uh, but then he comes back and he's sort of a clubhouse leader. And maybe that's a stretch for Puig, but there might be, you know, I, I know I grew up a lot in my 20s and maybe there's some growing up as he approaches 30. I don't know, but I don't know. It's, it's worth considering. It would kind of be fun, too, to think of Puig and Pablo in the same clubhouse. I mean, uh, uh, you know, you know that, that Pablo would 
would totally embrace all the fun aspects of, of Puig's personality. And uh, I, I can only think of some of the handshake rituals that they those two guys might come up with. And Pence, too. Pence comes up with some pretty darn good ones. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you start you start thinking about what the chemistry would be like. And, and there's this automatic assumption that, you know, Puig would come in and destroy team chemistry. Maybe not. You know, maybe he maybe uh, maybe he would make things a little unpredictable and a little a little fun, a little edgy. Uh, and I, I think that uh, last year's team was just not edgy at all. And, and also they couldn't hit very well. That was a problem. And they, they the pitchers gave up like five runs in the first inning every game. So, you know, all those things matter too. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel like that maybe this is, I'm biased because, you know, 2010 still rings so, so strongly in memory and, and just how that team kind of used its edginess as a huge advantage. Uh, I think I think good teams have some of that, uh, and and the Giants have been pretty boring lately. Now this actually comes at a funny time because I just watched. Uh, I was on YouTube in the the official SF Giants channel. They had a game from, oh boy, I think it was two thousand and. 13. Yeah, it was 2013 where the Giants beat the Dodgers 19 to 3. And in that game, uh, Puig was in center field. And boy, you haven't seen him a lot there after that. And I think this game was one of the reasons why. One of the reasons why it was 19 to 3 is that he had no business being out there in center field. But he wouldn't be a center fielder with the Giants. He'd be a corner outfielder. I, th- I think he still fields his position fairly well. You know, he's, he loves showing off that arm. I love it when he does show off that arm, even when, you know, it's against the Giants. It's still just like, wee, and you clap your hands because, <laughs> boy, that guy's got a rocket arm. Uh, but, I, you know, looking at it from an X's and O standpoint, uh, if you're just talking about the baseball qualities of this uh, move, the one concern I would have would be if you were to have someone like Jalen Davis, like Elliot Ramos, force their way onto the roster, would this preclude that more than your typical signing? If you have Pence and say Pence is doing okay and you're not going to get rid of him and DFM or trade him, what like anything like that, and say the rest of the outfield's doing okay, are you really going to have a spot to play with when it comes to someone who could help the next good Giants team? Wouldn't that preclude getting a, your eyeballs on someone who might help later? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that that has to absolutely be part of their calculus on a move like this. They, they've they been very, very careful not to sign anyone that's going to block somebody who's coming up in their system or or even somebody who might not be in their system that they could claim on waivers later sure. on. I mean, if, if, if it's someone with a low ceiling, um, you know, they really just don't want to tread water. And in, 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 we think about investments being... Uh, payroll, but you, it's a huge investment to give you know 500 at bats to somebody because you could give the, those at bats to somebody else, and you know if if they really don't think Austin Slater is going to be an, uh, an everyday big leaguer, if they really don't think that Jalen Davis is ready, um, you know to kind of dominate against big league pitching, and he really had a very interesting spring because at the beginning, boy, he was just terrible. I mean, he Woof. struck out I think 12 times in his first 20 at bats or so. Um, and then he started hitting the ball the opposite way, and you could tell he was finding some timing. And then, you know, obviously the game stopped. So, um, you know, he sort of felt for, for him especially a little bit with the momentum he was starting to create. Would they really have carried Billy Hamilton and given Billy Hamilton, you know, 300 plate appearances on this team just because he can run? I, I, I don't know where they were going, but I don't think they were super enamored with what they were seeing. Um, 
And and if you sign Yasiel Puig to a Wilmer Flores type contract where he maybe gets a year and an option or something like that, yeah, I I think that you could put him in as a piece that that you can then move around, uh, and and you're not necessarily blocking other people. Um, if you're signing him to a three year deal that's all guaranteed, then that's another story. So I don't know. I don't think that there's enough compelling stuff in the Giants' upper levels right now to think that signing an outfielder for a year and an option is going to be blocking anybody, especially when, you know, when Elliot Ramos comes up, he's he's going to come up and he's going to have a job if, if he's showing that he's ready. I don't think that any anybody they sign would, would be in danger of blocking Elliot Ramos. That's definitely not something that the Giants can entertain. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I, I think back to August 31st, and on August 31st, Austin Slater was hitting, uh, he had a 925 OPS. Uh, He was hitting for average. He was getting on base via the walk. He was hitting for a little bit of power. And then you go to his AAA stats. And and I know that the Pacific Coast League is uh, hitter friendly, but he still has a a 316 career batting average in over a thousand plate appearances in AAA. And he he hits for a little bit of power there, takes his walks there. And so he's done everything he can uh, in Sacramento to sort of have the Giants take an extended look-see at him. And when they were doing that last year, it was as recently as August 31st, sort of like, well, he's established now, you know, or at the very least, you can see this guy on the 2020 roster. And that September was so bad, just so awful. And his spring training this year was so awful that I have no idea what to do with him. Like, I don't even know if the Giants were to sign another outfielder, if they were to sign Puig, if I would be like, well, what about Austin Slater? Or if I should be already thinking like, yeah, he's on the, the John Bowker curve. Like he's just, that's, he's not a part of the, of, of the plans going forward. I really have no idea how to evaluate him. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a really interesting case. And I think it's not that different from Mac Williamson, a guy who, you know, was just really good at AAA. And you think, okay, it's time to give him his shot. And when he's had his shot, he's had a lot more success than Mac Williamson has had. Without a doubt, he's had a lot more success. He's been much more productive against major league pitching in, in the looks that he's gotten. And some of them, like you mentioned, have been fairly established looks. Um, but uh, the consistency obviously hasn't been there. Uh, and he's dealing with some some fairly large swing changes, just like Mac did as well. And I think that there's enough athleticism there. There's enough tools there. Uh, I think there's certainly enough um, baseball IQ there to believe that, you know, hey, he, he probably, the Giants would be doing themselves a disservice if they didn't give him a chance to run with this a little bit. Because the last thing you want to do is is give up on a guy and then all of a sudden he's uh, you know, turning Turner. into Adam Duvall or, or yeah, he's, he's Justin Turner somewhere else, exactly. Or Jeff Kent, you know, the Giants got the reverse of that. So what that's going to equate to, I, I don't know. But I, I feel for guys like Yastrzemski, like uh, Austin Slater, you know, guys who are not 22-year-old rookies but are, are losing a year, not only of development but service time, at a time when it's really kind of crucial for them um, to, to gain some momentum or, or to continue the momentum they've already started. It, it really is... I mean, none of this is, is timed well for anybody. I mean, the, you know, we're, we all have to deal with this together, but uh, especially for them in the, this portion in their careers, it's really pretty crippling and pretty. it's got to be pretty deflating for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think if I have to put my foot down and, you know, rate this rumor or, you know, how, how much I think it would help the Giants, I'm erring on the side of I think it might be somewhat too late that you, you have – the Hunter Pence as as the right-handed power, you're still going to want to keep 
a roster spot open to cycle through some of the guys you, you want to get more looks at. I'm not sure that Puig helps the Giants the way he might have before Pence. Maybe I'm overrating Pence and what and how likely he is to repeat his his 2019 season. But I think that whole that immediate need where you need someone to platoon with Alex Dickerson at the very least has been filled. And I'm not sure Puig is that good. You know, if he's still got that all-star potential in him to where you're going to want to mess up the the look-sees that you're going to give guys in the future. Well, so this is unexpected. I'm I'm disagreeing with you, but taking the opposite position from the one that I thought I would be taking uh, <laughs> 48 hours ago. I guess I'm the permissive uh, Roger Ebert, and you're the pessimistic uh, Gene Siskel on this one. <laughs> well, you know what? I... I just got a, a direct message from Tim Britton uh, for the fake athletic alternate universe, the out of the the park baseball league that we're doing where we're simulating the 2020 season. And he says, here's a wild idea I haven't thought through much. Would you trade that Buster Posey dude? Now, I think that that might be a way to rankle Giants fans more than signing Yasiel Puig. I was, I was about to say this is the one thing you could do that could really stir up the hornet's nest of Giants fans and make people hate you. But maybe trading Buster Posey would be, would be the way to make them hate me more than signing Yasiel Puig. What do you think? I, I think that if you were to trade Posey and sign Puig to play catcher, that would not work out. <laughs> um, no, that Buster's not going to get traded. I mean, he's I he's got a, he's got a full no trade clause. And but by this the way, is pretend th- baseball. I think that does apply to pretend baseball. By the way, Grant, do not trade Buster Posey, or he's going to come looking for you. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the, the, this was a story I wrote right when spring training was kind of ending, and I think that maybe not a lot of people saw it because of that. But I, I thought it was was a pretty pretty important thing that Buster said in, in about a 20, 25 minute interview I had with him. He said, I never see myself wearing another uniform. I don't want to wear yeah. another uniform. I want to be a giant for life. He was really struck by what it meant for Matt Cain to retire, even at 32 years old or whatever it was, uh, and, and just say, you know, I've, I've only worn this uniform. And Buster values that. And you think, well, you know, Maybe he'd like to go to the American League and DH a little bit. Maybe he'd like to play for the Braves. Maybe he could see himself, you know, being part of a, a, another team that might have a little more momentum toward uh, being a, a postseason contender in the very near term. But no, he he values the continuity uh, of wearing that uniform. And I don't think that uh, I, I think if they went to him and said, "Look, you know, you're not going to play here. This is the right thing for the organization. We really want you to do this." I think he's got such a sense of obligation that he might listen because he really wants to leave the Giants in as great a place uh, or better than than he found the organization. He cares about the health and the, 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 the success of this organization even after he's gone. And he said that to me. And I think that's really remarkable. It's not something you hear a lot of players say. Um, but uh, he's not going to want to be traded. He's not going to ever go to them and say, can you put me in a better situation? Uh, this guy really does want to be a giant for life. And uh, I mean, th- those are the exact words out of his mouth. So yeah, so you're not allowed to trade him. I don't care how good a, an offer Tim Britton gives you. If he gives you a DeGrom and uh, and Pete Alonzo, well, maybe think about it. Maybe yeah, think yeah. about it. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I I don't think I would entertain it just, just because I don't think it's realistic. But I also, you know, since I've been watching all these classic games over the last month, uh, I watched the Mets in A's World Series when Willie Mays was introduced in front of the Coliseum crowd and got a huge standing ovation and it brought tears to my eyes but it was also 
just incredibly weird to see Willie Mays in a Mets uniform. And I think there's a, a big difference. Well, obviously, you know, Willie Mays is Willie Mays, but also the position that he played was at some point you, you just can't have him in center field. And the Mets found that out. And I think with Buster Posey, I could see him, if his body holds up, being someone you want on a roster until he's 40. And by that, I mean, you can find a spot for whatever he's going to bring to the catching position. As long as he can do it, you know, he's going to be a backup catcher at the very least you want on your team. He's going to be someone you're going to want to give 200 plate appearances just to get that defense in there. Assuming, again, that his body holds up. You know, I'm, I'm not saying he would be Carlton Fisk, but... I don't know, like maybe he would be Carlton Fisk or or Pudge Rodriguez, someone who lasts and lasts and lasts. And maybe if he's not hitting that much, you're still getting something out of him. I think it's easy to get something out of Posey for the indefinite future. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things he said to me, and I'm actually just calling up that story now, forever giant Buster Posey, I don't see myself playing for any other team. You know, the one thing I asked him was, you know, what if what if you feel you've got more energy and talent to give to the game after 2021? You know, there's an option year after that. The Giants are probably going to decline it because it's a lot of money, sure. but they could always renegotiate something else. So I, I asked him, what if you don't want to play anywhere else and you still feel like you want to play after 2021, what do you think would happen? And he said, we'll see. I could be back here. And so I don't think he's ruling out that possibility of, of totally being a mentor type guy, being someone who can, you know, help Joey Bart the way that Benji Molina helped him. Sure. Um, and, and be another coach on the field uh, because Lord knows we the Giants need more coaches. Uh, they need another <laughs> coach on the field to go along with their eight thousand uh, in the dugout. So, um, but yeah, I, 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 no matter what, I think the coolest thing about Buster as a Giant, and I don't think we meant for this to turn into a Buster Posey podcast, but just to wrap up my thought, the coolest thing is we know he's got the grand slam against Matt Latos. It's really his only fully signature a moment as a Giant. So many other guys had maybe bigger ones. But you got the Buster hug, and that's the one yes. <laughs> thing that links together so many of these moments that are kind of infused in the DNA of Giants fans. They end with a Buster hug, and you know that he was right in the middle. He was calling every pitch in Matt Cain's perfect game of, of, of Linscombe's no-hitter, of the World Series clinching pitches, and there he was. You know he had a hand in all of it. He was just tied into all of it, and he's right there to hug you when it's all done. And I just think that's going to be the Buster Posey signature. If you've got some ham hands behind the plate stabbing at Brian Wilson's cutter, does he get the call <laughs> to win the pennant? I don't know. I really don't know. I, I, I just absolutely don't know. Okay, so we're agreed. Giants should sign Yasiel Puig and trade Buster Posey. This has been <laughs> the bags... <laughs> No, that, I, I think, uh, all right, Puig, we'll see. Posey, he's not going anywhere. This has been the Bags and Brisbane podcast. We will be back on Thursday to talk more baseball stuff. If you have not subscribed yet to The Athletic, you can start your free 90-day trial at theathletic.com slash bagsinbrisby. That's theathletic.com slash bagsinbrisby. Free 90-day trial. Come on, come and read our stuff. It's free for 90 days. All right, thanks so much, and we'll uh, see you on Thursday.